Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravallo, the co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Tyler, the future is always about the kids, the up-and-coming generation, you know. Uh, when I worked at the General Land Office, everybody said the tagline for the whole university was we were doing everything we, for, the, for the, the school kids of Texas because the General Land Office was uh, underwrites a public education in Texas through the uh, the oil and gas revenues on state land. Always about the kids, the kids and the future. And th- look, there isn't any bigger issue facing the world in, and, and then I would say this in the coastal space, especially than climate change, you know, and climate change and kids are two things that have to get closer together. The kids have to know what's coming their way. And as young people become aware and educated about the world around them, it doesn't take long for them to realize that in their lifetimes, they will be contending with a major, major feature. Yeah. Uh, and there's a bit of a uh, scratching of one's head that you might do if you're a young person looking around and say, why in goodness gracious yeah. are the old people not taking more aggressive action yeah. on a thing that is going to have profound uh, impacts on my generation's life. And uh, this has been happening. And and I have to say, we seem to be in an interesting moment here. Uh, Peter, we have followed for the past several years as the perception around climate change has changed. But it is worth noting that the first people in our society to really move the needle were young people. Yeah. And so today we have the opportunity to talk about youth engagement around the coast, around the ocean, around the Gulf of Mexico in particular. Yeah. And we have two amazing youth activist guests to kind of walk us through what it's like to organize youth in the climate space today. Right on, we do. Uh, the Gulf Research Reach, the Gulf Reach Institute uh, is an, a, a nonprofit organization, Tyler, here in Texas that is founded to advance uh, STEM education and uh, for young people, teens, high school kids, uh, to introduce them to the world of science uh, and research. And uh, the organization, the Gulf Reach Institute, has coming up uh, this weekend after this show comes out, uh, the Gulf of Mexico Youth Climate Summit, which is going to occur July 29th and 30th, an amazing event they put together. Uh, We're going to learn all about that today with two great guests. Uh, Joining us today on the American Shoreline podcast is Maggie Peacock. She is the co-founder of the Gulf of Mexico Youth Climate Summit, along with her partner, uh, Armand Alex, who is also a co-founder, both currently students at Texas A&M University, Corpus Christi, go Islanders. And uh, Armand, interestingly, sits as the the vice chairman of the city of Corpus Christi Mayor's Environmental Task Force, which is cool. I'm looking forward to learning about that. So Maggie Peacock, Armand Alex are our guests today on the American Trojan Podcast. It's going to be a great show. Really looking forward to our conversation with Armand and Maggie, but first a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by Geodynamics, an NV5 company specializing in providing accurate surveys of complex coastal environments worldwide. Driven by marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing, 
Our researchers use the latest technology to provide meticulous data products to support our clients and answer their toughest questions. Geodynamics carefully designs and executes a variety of hydrographic, geophysical, sub-bottom, and near-shore surveys using our fleet of customized vessels and sensor configuration. You can find us at nv5geospatial.com. Geodynamics, delivering solutions, improving lives. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter for our latest updates from around the American shoreline. Like what you're hearing and want to support the network? Sponsorship packages are now available. Go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising to learn more. Well, hello, co-founders. Hello, Maggie. Hello, Armin. Welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having us. We're so excited to be here. (laughs) Well, a lot going on for you guys this week. Very busy coming up on the Gulf of Mexico Youth Climate Summit, as I said, July 29th and 30th, uh, sponsored by the Gulf Reach Institute. Maggie, introduce our audience and our listeners to the Gulf Reach Institute. What is this all about? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. Um, Like I said, we're very excited um, to be here talking about um, Gulf Reach, um, as well as the Gulf of Mexico Youth Climate Summit. Um, Armand and I always joke that GOMIX, GOMIX, when we refer to GOMIX, just a heads up, that's um, the acronym for Gulf of Mexico Youth Climate Summit. Um, But we always joke around like, this is our baby. Like, we love, um, we've dedicated so much time and energy to creating um, a safe space for young environmentalists from around the Gulf, which we'll dive into a little deeper here in a little bit. Um, But yeah, Gulf Reach, um, for a little background, um, GOMIX is a premier youth program under the Gulf Reach Institute, which was founded by Soraya Nanas James, who y'all will be pleased to find out is also went to A&M Galveston um, and studied marine biology. Um, But yeah, the Gulf Reach Institute, like you mentioned earlier, is really an international leader um, focused on STEM education for all and specifically for underserved communities, getting them engaged um, with science, citizen science, and also the health of our Gulf um, and coastal communities, um, and as well as advocacy work for the diversity, equity, and inclusion of these underrepresented populations, and really giving them a seat at the table as decision makers um, for the protection and the conservation of the Gulf of Mexico um, and really all, all our oceans and using this as a platform for um, y- our climate action all over the nation. Well, thank you so much for that great overview of Gulf Reach. And Arman, uh, as Peter mentioned in the introduction, you're clearly already uh, a, a man who's interested in community service. Uh, he mentioned your service on the mayor's environmental task force. In fact, a leadership position there, which is very cool. Yeah. But I'm curious, uh, Arman, how did you become connected with Gulf Reach uh, there at school? Was it was it was this a, a club? How did you become involved? Yeah. Well, thank you for having us on board and allowing us to you know share a little bit of our our golf story uh, mine's a little bit interesting uh so start out in high school really involved in a lot of the local organizations or just clubs on campus um 4-h moody high school out of corpus christi texas and um i started volunteering at the texas state aquarium and that's actually where hmm. i met sarita 
And so at the time, Sarita worked at the Texas State Aquarium as one of the members, um, leadership members on the education uh, team, the education department. Um, and it was through there that she particularly saw this, I guess what she would think, maybe a, a young, bright, um, uh, a little aqua teen was what we call our, our high school volunteers, myself. And um, I guess she decided to invest a little time and energy into um, my future. So at the time, like I said, she was uh, an educator there at the aquarium. Um, but she had bigger, brighter ideas. She knew that her time at the aquarium wasn't always going to be there. She wanted to make her own business. She wanted to um, do more outreach, really focus on students more, um, more out of the capacity of the aquarium. And so at some point, she ended up leaving. She introduced me to a, an amazing organization called Earth Echo International. And it was through that organization, which was founded by Philippe Cousteau Jr., they really focus on providing as many resources to young people as possible to help save the planet, full stop. And um, it was through there that I started doing water quality research at the university. Um, and because of that, Sarita thought that would be a great way to incorporate more citizen science into our community, really do some outreach. So her and I, before um, she really established Gulf Reach Institute just a few years ago, um, she really decided that you know this would be a great opportunity for us to get the community more involved and it was these through these small community actions and events really this idea for golf reach um, kind of came to fruition and so at some point i got really busy with school doing other things i got really active in some local government um, i was appointed to the island strategic action committee by one of our city council members and that's really where my public service um, started taking away so as i was doing that Sarita was starting up the Gulf Reach Institute. She did things like teen science cafes where she would have um, young community members from uh, throughout Corpus Christi, uh, Coastal Bend uh, region, um, invite them and they'd invite an expert and they'd talk about things like water quality science. Um, they would talk about golf history. They talk about environmental injustices um, and, and real technical skills too, like um scientific ocean drilling, um, all while I was doing public service related things in a few organizations on campus as well, really doing some citizen science of that sorts. Um, and so at some point we ended up uh, colliding and, and merging paths again. And um, at the time, Maggie and I were talking about um, really this lack of youth involvement that we saw in the Gulf of Mexico. And we wanted to couple that with a a, a, a platform, an idea. And so like many of the awesome projects that we have um, throughout the years, or just many projects that we have um, late at night conversations, this is where this, what Maggie referred to, this baby was formulated, the Gulf of Mexico Youth Climate Summit. And Sarita was like, hey, it, I've been doing the Gulf Reach Institute for quite some years now. We've been collecting resources. If you all need help, let us know. And that's where this wonderful partnership came um, to fruition. So now the Gulf of Mexico Youth Climate Summit is this amazing youth program underneath the Gulf Reach Institute. What a great origin story. And it's so important to take the initiative and to create uh, these kinds of um, institutional efforts to engage young people uh, Maggie, if you wouldn't mind, uh, I, as I understand it, you're currently uh, attending uh, Texas A&M University Corpus Christi. Um, is that right? 
Yeah, I'm going to AM Corpus Christi. I just finished my first year of undergrad. Um, I'm originally from the DFW area in Texas. Okay. So I was born and raised in an inland community, but really, I family vacations to the Gulf of Mexico really sparked my passion for the ocean, for environmentalism. And I started um, ocean conservation initiatives um, and student organizations in elementary school here in my inland community. And really, and that's one thing that we will be focusing a lot on at our summit um, coming up the 29th and 30th is how the role that inland communities play in ocean conservation and how they are also impacted. But anyways, I moved down to Corpus Christi for school um, and I'm studying, currently I'm studying environmental science with a concentration in marine and coastal systems, as well as political science and history. Um, and I have enjoyed every second of being there um, in this coastal community, being there by the water, but also seeing how coastal communities are directly impacted by the climate crisis and witnessing these injustices happening in our city and really uniting young people and underserved communities in our area um, and giving them a seat at the table so that these problems can be addressed. Um, and that goes through community initiatives um, like the Gulf Reach Institute, um, like uh, Armand was talking about, then also school organizations as well, um, and really connecting all of those different initiatives and solving, you know, solving this problem of the climate crisis that we are being directly impacted by. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> well, I have to say, I, I, I have two thumbs up for, for, yeah. for being a... <laughs> I mean, I was a freshman in college once, Peter. You were too. Yeah. Were you organizing no, I, a, a youth I, environmental movement? No. I no, wasn't. I wasn't. I was, I, I was trying to go to class. I wasn't even co-organizing one. <laughs> I, I, was, I wasn't even involved in one. I, I, don't even, I didn't even think I knew that one could organize such a thing. Uh, so I just have to say yeah. two, two thumbs up. Thumbs up, you guys. Uh, Maggie, thank you for that background. Uh, Armin, would you give us a little bit of background in your kind of place in uh, the A&M Corpus Christi community at this moment? Are, are you still a student there as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I decided to go to school. Uh, I graduated high school in 2018, um, and I wanted to go to a university that had marine biology options. And so I also too considered uh, A&M Galveston. Um, but <laughs> My alma mater. After touring, <laughs> after touring the area, I was like, maybe this just isn't the environment. Yeah, no, so. I'm, I'm with you on the Corpus <laughs> choice. I think, just, you know, Pelican Island, which is where A&M Galveston is uh, along the ship uh -huh. channel, not the most idyllic location. I think the Corpus campus definitely gets the thumbs up. Well, I will say there's so much history out there in Galveston that some people don't tend to appreciate as much. So there's tons of tons of nice history there. Um, but anyways, yeah, so I, I decided to go to A&M Corpus Christi in 2018. Um, and uh, I was originally going for marine biology. I did some research in water quality and some jellyfish science. Um, and then I really understood that, you know, maybe the lab isn't necessarily for me. Mm -hmm. um, I really like this idea of connecting with people. Um, you know, being able to translate the scientific, uh, you know, verbiage and, and, and rhetoric into like things that uh, the ordinary, you know, public citizen could really understand, the general public could understand. So um, I understood that science communications was a, a route for me. And 
Um, since then, I switched my major over to science communications and uh, public relations and environmental sciences. Uh, and I really think that's the perfect intersection for me for the, um, you know, the government public service that I do in this like science field that I find myself in environmental policy. It's a really nice intersection. I found myself to be successful in so far. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful initiative and uh, great inspiration. Couldn't agree more with the objective of the organization you have founded and the Youth Climate Summit. Absolutely critical that the up-and-coming generation be as well-versed in the technical science and understanding of the challenges facing the coast. Uh, the diversity and inclusion issues are real. Environmental justice is a huge topic in many, many uh, areas of the American shoreline along the coast. Uh, here's what I find interesting in, uh, about what you guys are doing from Corpus Christi. And we were talking about this a little bit in the pre-show discussion is Corpus Christi, many people do not know, is the number one oil and gas exporting port in the United States of America. Uh, mm -hmm. This port is undergoing a dramatic transformation uh, for uh, carbon fuel exports. Uh, the channel is being deepened, uh, major liquefied natural gas exporting terminal infrastructure is under discussion and under debate now. Uh, the Corps of Engineers is deepening the channel to handle very large crude carriers. In other words, um, Maggie and Armand, you guys are at the center point of a climate change, essentially, in Corpus Christi, being at the center, really, of oil and gas exports uh, from the U.S. I mean, how is it be? How is it received? I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, you know, uh, Armand, you serve on the mayor's environmental task force. You're involved um, in local discussion. Maggie, I'm sure you are as well. Um, what do the energy folks in the town think of you, radical people out there talking about climate change? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how are you? How are you received? I, I, I'll throw on this. I, I, I have a, a great honor um, to be able to, of course, serve on, on our city council for the, the mayor's environmental task force. But um, I think most of my person to person work going door to door um, is, 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 is most seen with the Texas campaign for the environment. I'm one of their field um, organizers. <clears throat> so one of our biggest things that we focus on is just that, looking at this massive industrial build out that we are seeing over the past 10, 15 years, um, and really within these these past few years, all throughout the, the Corpus Christi Bay, but of course the Texas coast as well. And so one of the, the, the great opportunities that I have every day is to go um, and speak to my neighbors and the people all throughout the coastal bend area. Um, you know, of course, we've got major LNG terminals uh, and, and facilities like Chenier and, 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 and Exxon and, and Sitco, all in this area. And I think for the past few years, or really since we've seen their presence in the area, heavy industry, um, it's this kind of community mindset of, well, they've been here all along. What's, what's, the, big, what's the big deal? And what we found ourselves as an organization doing the, the, the past few months is, is starting to open people's eyes to the problems. Um, so as we continue not to look at what they're doing uh, behind the scenes, it kind of goes un, un, unseen as a community. And what we're, doing are, it, what we're doing is just basically opening up the curtains and opening people's eyes to um, the pollution that we're seeing, the acidification of our bay, the 
um, the dead zones that are, are being created, the, the poor water quality um, from, from a lot of the pollution that's coming, but of course also the air quality. And then tied into that is this environmental, just, environmental justice aspect where we're seeing rural communities in our area um, being not necessarily targeted, some would argue yes targeted, um, but are being neglected and, and basically sacrificed um, for this production of crude oil and uh, sorry, this production of, uh, of oil and gas in our area. Um, you know, I, I can think about a real example of myself going out to uh, Portland, Texas, which is just across the bridge from Corpus. Um, so we go across the bridge to Portland and in the Portland, Gregory Portland area is uh, Chenier. It's a massive LNG, the, the, the biggest LNG um, exporter um, in our area. Uh, and I think uh, in, in the world too. Um, and of course, for our viewers, your viewers, uh, LNG is liquefied natural gas, right? So yep. um, they take natural gas, they liquefy it. And through that process, which by the way, heavy industry, especially the uh, fossil fuel industry, they like to tout that LNG is like this transition to clean fuel, which is just not the case. A lot of people don't realize that through this process of creating LNG, um, a lot of methane gas is released. Mm. And methane is even worse than some of our carbon emissions um, in, in terms of its potency. potency. Um, so anyway, so I went down over to Portland and uh, in Gregory Portland area, and we're, we're talking to our, our neighbors and, and some of the citizens in the area, and, and it was the same similar mindset. Well, they've been here all along. You know, they also contribute to our, our, our education system. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, but one of them said, you know what, I, I, I also will have to admit that some of my neighbors, they have to go to our hospital to get um, oxygen treatments. And I go, what? I hadn't heard this before yet. And, and I, and I, I reiterated to themselves so like, so you're telling me that, um, you know, you, you're having to go to the hospital to get oxygen treatments and, and it's because of the poor air quality in the area. Do you, do you, do you know why the air quality is so, so poor? And we, you know, we had a conversation, a, a productive one. Um, and, and basically at the end of that conversation, we were able to get them to realize that this was what's happening. It's not normal. This isn't what should be happening in our area. It's an environmental injustice to them. Um, and we were able to get them out to one of our public hearings for the Texas Commission for Environmental Quality to um, Shamir was going to or was uh, applying for uh, more pollution. They wanted to uh, basically triple the amount of pollution that they were uh, allowed to because they weren't able to control how much they were putting out. Hmm. And we were able to get that specific person in Gregory Portland to go out and, uh, and provide a testimony. Um, but that's just one example of, of, of things that we are dealing with as a, as a city, as, as, as a coastal band, and of course, of, uh, all along the, the Texas Gulf Coast. Yeah, and I can, I can kind of add on to that. Um, thank you, Armand, like for like t telling all those personal stories on how people are directly impacted, but also the communities of color, indigenous communities, they are being disproportionately impacted um, by these different projects. And so, for example, Enbridge is trying to expand their pipeline through indigenous land in Corpus Christi. Mm. And communities of color in Corpus are being directly impacted or disproportionately impacted by the low air quality, by these industries right next to their communities, having all these different health problems. And so that's definitely, we cannot talk about climate justice without including 
these communities in these conversations and giving them a seat at the table. So Armand, I love how you talked about how you brought someone from the community and allowed them to speak at these um, at these different meetings so they can talk about their personal stories. Um, but when it comes when it comes to youth engagement, just the just for the past year I've been in Corpus, so many people have came up to me as a young advocate and asked me, Maggie, like why are all these young people leaving Corpus? What's going on? And they're right. I've had so many friends either transfer in the middle of the year, transfer out of AM Corpus Christi, or maybe they graduate and leave the area. And it's because all that's here in Corpus is heavy industry. And so it's either they have to leave Corpus and find somewhere else to pursue their career, or they get stuck in to the fossil fuel industry. And that's where like they spend the rest of their lives. And so Armand and I have this discussion all the time about how we need to diversify these career choices for young people. I'll tell you what, we have a we have a tech company or two you could have from here in Austin. I mean, we're we're, <laughs> we're swimming with tech companies, so I'll yeah. tell you, go to well, <laughs> and speaking um, speaking of that our Armand mentioned Earth Echo earlier, and we both have the privilege of serving on um, the Youth Leadership Council for Earth Echo International. And this past week, actually, um, Armand and I were in Washington, D.C., speaking um, to our senators on behalf of coastal restoration, marine protected areas, the adjust transition and different things like that. And we spoke with our senators, spoke with their staff about how if we're going to talk or if we're going to claim that Texas is the energy capital of the world, we cannot do that without investing in green energy and investing in a just transition for people to, for these people who work in oil and gas or who are in these communities impacted by oil and gas to work in like the offshore wind realm or solar energy. And so that's a big part of our work as well as community advocate climate activists is talking about a just transition and how these communities need to be at the forefront of these conversations. Well, I, I Peter, I think everything. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Well done, you guys. Yeah, no, it's well, it's true. It's true. We, we say uh, on this show that climate change is a people problem. It's not Absolutely. a science problem. The science is understood. It is a human thing, and that gets into our society. And that's why, if you are going to approach uh, a, a transition, a, a more sustainable system, you are inherently going to be involving all of the social baggages that come to the table, and you cannot ignore them. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and particularly along the Texas coast, Peter, the energy coast, lots of mm -hmm. infrastructure, uh, not only uh, in Corpus, but also up in Houston, oh, where yeah. there's a bunch of petrochemical oh, yeah. refineries and stuff like that that are um, in yeah. low-lying areas. You mentioned the health of the Bay. I mean, I, I guess I want to expand a little bit, because one of the things that you guys are doing that I think is really cool is taking this kind of regional body of water approach. You know, the Gulf of Mexico, which is an uns unsung uh, 
American overlooked, overlooked the third coast. Mm-hmm. They call it. They call it the third coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, I also heard it referred to as like the toilet bowl of the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it you does. know, uh, it's the it's the drain drain I, location. What what is the um? So can you? Uh, I'm going to go with Maggie. Maggie, tell us a little bit about why why the whole golf uh, and what is the perception of uh, from from other youth people that are you're connecting with around the golf of the idea of bringing this uh, youth climate summit together? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first off, um, first off, I g- contributing to um, how the Gulf of Mexico is c- kind of left out of these conversation conversations about how you know people don't want to go vacation to a beach that's surrounded by all these industries and the water is so just disgusting because of these facilities right there. Um, But why we focused on the Gulf. So for instance, a couple weeks back, um, and I believe y'all were there as well. um, Correct me if I'm wrong. We were at the Gulf of Mexico conference. Um, in Louisiana, were were y'all, y'all in attendance? We we, we unfortunately were not able to make that trip. Okay. Very, in, we wished we could have, but we were not able to attend. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yep. So, at this conference, and this is just one example, there were so many different representatives from Gulf states, and really, this conference, the purpose of this conference. Um, was to bring people from all sectors, whether that's like research, activism, um, um, educational, like academia, and bring them together and discuss the problems facing, the critical issues facing the Gulf of Mexico. And there were so many representatives from Gulf states, but not nearly enough, if any at all, from Mexico and Cuba. Hmm. And Mexico and Cuba are also directly impacted by what's happening in the Gulf, and they also deserve a seat at the table. And so really our awesome. mission at GOMIX is to, our little hashtag is hashtag unite the Gulf, because we can't have these conversations without including Mexico and Cuba. And we are really excited to announce that Armada and I just created the Gulf of Mexico Youth Advisory Congress, which is really a group of people, of young people, yeah. who will help us plan the Gulf of Mexico Youth Climate Summit. And um, a majority of the folks on this Congress who we just accepted, um, and they will, their names will actually be announced at the summit this coming weekend, um, are from Mexico. And so we are really excited to have these conversations with them and get them engaged with um, the initiatives happening here in 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 the states as well wow um, well so, done yeah. yeah love that gulf of mexico youth congress yes yeah <laughs> that's cool a governing body well you have we, to have these we, Armand a... and i were talking like that just sounds like youth advisory congress that yeah. sounds so cool Armand told me I love it. the other day like we would just kill to be involved with something like that when we were in high school um it just sounds, it sounds so cool. Like youth advisory Congress, young people want to be involved with something like that. And I will add in the introduction that um, y'all were talking about the importance of young people in the climate movement, about how we need to educate young people. 
about what's going on. I want young people already know what's going on. We already know. We are the ones bearing the brunt of the climate crisis. So it's not our mission isn't really to educate them because they know what's happening in their own communities. Our mission is to give them a seat at the table so that their personal stories and whatever they're going through can contribute to these conversations. Mm. And so we can address right. these problems. Thank you. Um, Cause we don't, we don't want to go into communities and be like, Oh yeah, this is what's happening to, to you. They know what's happening. So we get, we want to give them resources um, or have conversations with them on how, how we, we can help them like, contribute to these conversations mm -hmm. where decisions are being made um so yeah <laughs> can i i just if that's I, a good clarification it ahead, is Tyler. it yeah. is and i have a an observation that yeah, i, okay. I want to make and that is that um i think that youth actually do possess a really unique perspective and i don't just mean that uh you know of course uh, on the bell curve of of people, you know, youth present, of course, everyone has a unique perspective. But what I mean yeah. is that by virtue of not being institutionalized in a silo, a professional silo, and an economic interest yet, youth are able to kind of see the clear truth about things. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm generalizing yeah, here. No, but, I think in general that's but good. But youth are, are, are rather decoupled from a lot of the other social institutions that we become involved with in life. Yeah. You go to college, you pick a major. You become an expert in that major. You graduate and you get a career and you add maybe another degree, more certifications, more expertise so that you can advance that career. And inevitably, with all that, that expertise and all of that uh, specialization, one's per perspective becomes finer and more uh, pointed and which is you know this is what has built the modern world I have no yeah I'm not I'm not poo-pooing it but what I'm saying is yeah. like from a systems perspective youth really do possess it's important an important gut check on our yeah. trajectory and that's why when youth are like hey what what the hell are we doing why are we running off this cliff we really got to listen to them and like the, the notion I mean yeah they know that the, the youth do not need to be educated in that where we do run into problems is the yab butts. You know, the world is a, a, a the Gulf of Mexico. Let's just start with the Gulf of Mexico. Is a complicated zone, Peter, of competing economic interests and competing uh, social interests. And Armand, uh, I'm curious to know when you get youth together, uh, what are the number one issue? You know, what are the top issues that youth come and want to talk about and want to raise? Yeah, I, I think what we've noticed, um, you know, Maggie and I have been involved in, in quite a few um, nonprofit conservation groups and, and organizations throughout the few years. And, and they're usually having to do with some kind of youth engagement, but focused on conservation and environmental work. And a lot of the, the topics that we've seen are they all can be summed up down to social injustices. Right. I mean, of course, we're always talking about the climate, but the climate issue is a social and human rights issue. Um, and that's always at the front forefront of all of these conversations that we're having, whether you're inland or whether you're on the coast, frontline community uh, and sacrifice zones around refinery rows. We're always talking about how people are being taken advantage of by heavy industry, right? Because at the end of the day, we can 
recycle as much as we want. We could compost as much as we want. But young people have this really great perspective of realizing what at the heart. We, we cut through all of the mumbo jumbo. We cut through. We're not beating around the bush. We understand the true perpetuators in this system, the perpetuators of the climate crisis. And that is heavy industry and fossil fuels. Yeah. And can I, can I and, add to that really yeah, quickly? Yeah. I, I will say like our, like our mindset, our mission, we are climate activists and that is our, our mission. That's what we live and breathe every day, but it's also so hard <laughs> to fight this fight when there's so many other social justice issues being thrown at us, whether that's abortion access, whether that's LGBTQ plus rights, whether that's gun control, and all of these things are inextricably connected. And so that's another part of our work is addressing these social justice um, problems. And as not only a young person, but as a woman, as someone who's in the LGBTQ plus community, it's very, it's it's a very personal fight because I see how people like are being disproportionately affected. So, for instance, um, women um, af- or after Hurricane Katrina hit gender-based violence against women increased 90% in New Orleans alone. And so we can really see, and that's just one example. Hmm. And so we can really see how climate change contributes to, like Armand was saying, these social justice issues when it comes to gender, when it comes to sexuality and all of these different things. And that is also Hmm. a, a big one of our, one, another big fight that we're trying to fight, but it is very hard when you're trying to address the climate crisis and all these other things are being thrown at you. Um, but as climate activists, we cannot talk about climate justice without having all these other hard conversations. Can I just ask a follow-up on that? Uh, how do old people, <laughs> broadly speaking, respond to, respond to that? I'm curious. I mean, um, I, I I don't I don't disagree with you at all. I'm just curious to know from your perspective when you introduce this kind of everything is interconnected in these social issues, which traditionally are siloed away from environmental issues. When you say that they're connected, how do older audiences receive that? I find myself in in a lot of rooms where I happen to be the youngest person, whether it's at city council, whether it's at the Capitol. Um, or, or, or on boards and meetings at the university, we always find ourselves being the youngest people in the room. And I think what has developed from bringing these social, you know, for some reason, it, older generations think that these kind of conversations are taboo when we start talking about mental health. And what we've realized over the past few years is mental health is just as or even more important than your physical health, right? Because if you're not in the right mindset, if you're not waking up on the day, if you're not giving yourself the, the, your, 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 your brain, the, the energy and time that it deserves to be healthy, um, your brain is a muscle at the end of the day. And so when you talk about these, these, these other conversations, whether we're talking about gun rights and, 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 and what would be considered taboo or controversial, um, young people, when we enter these spaces, we, we feel like as if though we're already going to be judged. There's an assumption that we don't know what we're talking about. And in these rooms, we're probably the most equipped with facts, figures, and information because Absolutely. we don't want to be 
labeled as being, you know, the complacent or, or not knowledgeable of these areas. So mm-hmm. when we enter these rooms, we, 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 we have to be prepared for anything. And I feel like sometimes we also have to be the most knowledgeable, right? Because we're the only person in that room whose experiences, perspectives are being questioned. And mm-hmm. um, usually in these rooms are, are just spaces and it's not even just in, 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 in rooms. It's like conferences, right? Or summits or workshops where we're supposed to go and meet with our colleagues. And if there's, um, you know, older people in the room, um, they're typically not the most welcoming to these, I, these, these broader ideas, these social, um, uh, intersectionalities that we find ourselves talking about as, as, as a generation Gen Z. Well, uh, being one of the older, older people out there, uh, <laughs> When when these issues you're a are, hip, you're are, a hip old guy though <laughs> well when these you're issues young at heart. you're young at heart <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at heart but when when these issues are put forward in a very stark way in the the plain spoken way that you do uh, talking about the intersection of uh, climate change environmental justice human health um, social implications in terms of economic uh, distribution of benefits all there's so much here. Uh, uh, yeah, that uh, I think there's a generation of people I'm, I would include me in it that that really get overwhelmed pretty quickly. Like, how the hell do you sort all of that out? And it, it's one of the great things about young people is it's a fearless time of life. And uh, you know, this is the truth. It's it's being a truth teller. It's saying you know what there really really are direct and intimate connections between social justice uh, and economic issues and climate change. And uh, good for you guys to to bring these conversations into the decision making process to become part of the city council, you know, task force, that kind of stuff. This is all the all the right way to go. Um, you know, one of the things Tyler tells me when I said, like, God dang, it's so damn hot. You know, we set another record. He's like, yeah, remember, this is as good as it's going to get. And you've been saying that for about two years. I know. And I'm, summer for the rest of your life. Yeah, this is as good as it's going to get. It's getting worse. And there, all the indications are, of course, that the situation that we're creating is going to continue to, uh, uh, to decline in terms of uh, the, the impact on the world around us and as what climate does. And uh, the mental health angle is critical. This is a deep producer of anxiety and concern uh, there can, you know for for human beings and especially for perceptive people who are willing to look is it is not, it is incredibly distressing and stress and distress it contributes to human violence and can you talk about this from i know you mentioned the human health but I, i've got to think that when you're looking at your life ahead the level of concern that is derived from this this climate change issue has got to be just such a big, powerful factor in how you think about the world. Yeah, absolutely. Climate anxiety is high. There you go. But kind of, I can, I guess I can talk about one example about how social justice, mental health, and climate change is all interconnected. Um, I recently published an article talking about how abortion access is a climate crisis issue. And one part where I talk about is how is, is climate anxiety and how because of this, young people, we we don't want to have kids. We don't want to yeah. bring kids into like, we're yeah. already bearing the brunt of these problems. Why would we want to, you know, bring kids into 
into this planet where a planet that's literally on fire. And so that kind of goes into, Hmm. goes into play with our climate anxiety is so high. We don't want to have kids, but also abortion access. Now, now abortion access is being stripped from us. And it's very, you mentioned earlier how we're, we're fearless and I, I don't really, I don't really think that would, I would use that as like the correct term. We are scared. We are very anxious because of like the, the plot, the future of our planet, but this is what we have to do in order to survive. You know, we Mm -hmm. have to have these conversations. We have to confront these older generations about what they have left behind about their complacency in this fight. And so I wouldn't call it fearlessness. It is very, it is very hard sometimes having these conversations, but it's it's what we have to do, you know. Well, that's the part that uh, I think. Uh, thank you for that clarification. I think that um, you know, being concerned and being being scared about the future is something that I can connect to. I think there is reason to be concerned and to be afraid of where we're headed and what we've created. Uh, this beast of climate change is took many many decades couple centuries really to build and we're not going to be able to turn it off this problem it's not it's we're going to have to it is a very long deliberate process the fearlessness part of it is the willingness to face it in spite of that and i think i just want to say that i give you guys a great deal of credit and having the courage to step forward and to connect these issues and to speak openly and frankly in public settings about it's really awesome um, we're getting close to the end, but I want to touch base on the on the climate summit itself. I mean, it's uh, for the listeners out there, July 29th and 30th, Friday and Saturday. Some really cool speakers you guys have coming. Uh, Philippe Cousteau Jr. Uh, is on the agenda. Tell us a little bit about the event. Tell us, highlight some of the speakers people will uh, hear from if they get off their butts and get registered. Uh, it's free, by the way. <laughs> and everybody needs to jump into this. is some great programming you guys put together. Tell us about it. Yeah, I, I think that this is probably, you know, there's a, there's a few conversations that I like to have uh, throughout the day with people are just my, my top five. One of them being jellyfish. They're absolutely amazing and phenomenal and, <laughs> and definitely have an intersectionality with with climate. Um, but certainly our, our, our little baby of a thing of the Gulf of Mexico Youth Climate Summit. And I think really... For this year's virtual summit, we're, we're, we're trying to unite young people, young environmental stewards from all across the Gulf of Mexico. And like Maggie said, not just in the U.S., but Mexico and Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it's open to, to anyone. So if you live in the middle of the U.S., this is also a conversation that you're welcome to participate in. Um, and these two days that we're looking at are really dedicated to fostering conversations around the preservation of the Gulf of Mexico, um, and, and, and hopes to really protect it from the dire effects of climate change and really using it as a base for climate action all over the U.S., Mexico and Cuba. And, you know, those two, two days participants will be able to engage with each other, uh, engage with experts um, to really engulf themselves in the conversations, pun intended, mm-hmm. around these <laughs> issues uh, facing our, our lovely home. Because um, at the end of the day, it's filled with so much biodiversity and so much need, and it has so much to offer, but it also provides such uh, clarity for some people, and it provides, um, you know, just so many things. And these are these these are issues that we will be able to talk about at this actual summit. And 
also providing people with what they can do to contribute to the environmental movement in their own community, some very actionable mindsets. And I'm glad you brought up that we'll be having Philippe Gusteau. He's a great, great friend of mine. He's the founder of, of Earth Echo International. We talked about a little bit earlier. He's also the, you know, the, the grandson of the famous underwater explorer Jacques Cousteau and yes. the, the Cousteau legacy for years. It crosses generations, right? The Cousteau legacy. We're really using this as at the end of the day to connect and unite the Gulf of Mexico. And what other great way to do that than a, a Cousteau legacy that has been doing that for generations, really con connecting something that we can all have um, familiarity with. But we're also inviting, you know, speakers like we're, we're having speakers like Jean Flemma, who's an ocean climate policy solutions expert. She's been doing this work for years, working off the hill, working for various government uh, agencies, um, really drawing the connection between the climate crisis and how to really solve those with with ocean based climate policy issues. I mean, it hits home for me in terms of environmental policy that we're looking at. Of course, Maggie and I will will be able to participate in um and some various discussions there. We've we've got various, uh, you know, kind of themes going on. The main one, right, of course, is to build Gulf Coast resilience and hashtag Unite the Gulf. But we're providing conversations around actions that young people can take in their communities. And we're encouraging people during the summit to, you know, make calls to the representatives focusing on environmental policy. We're teaching skills on working with local reps and some, you know, communication skills. We're, we're allowing space for young people to develop habitat restoration plans in their communities. Um, and of course, we're showcasing our first ever Youth Advisory Congress. And Maggie said earlier, right, like how cool we were thinking about like, this would be so cool when we were in high school to be able to, you know, have this kind of opportunity for us. And, and simple, the simple fact that young people are going to be familiar with what a governing body looks like so that when they approach their representatives, they already know what's up. They already know what they're talking about. They are already familiar with the, the lingo, the verbiage, the rhetoric that their representatives use. We want them to feel prepared. I personally believe, personally believe that in order for us to address the climate crisis, um, right, we have to do a lot of unlearning and learning, but also we need some short-term and long-term policies that look at addressing these issues. And those are have to be based in, in, in people um, uh, solutions and, and nature-based solutions. And we can't have a conversation about the climate crisis if we're not putting the ocean at the heart of these conversations. Right on. I, you know, I like to say, if you want to understand climate change, look in the ocean, don't look in the atmosphere. Uh, it's where the, the, uh, the, consequences of, of climate change are most vivid and available to understand. Uh, it's hard to understand parts per million of CO2 and the air and the complex atmospheric models, but it's not hard to figure out that the fish have moved or that the southern flounder that, uh, that um, um, propagate off the Texas coast are declined by more than 70% because the water temperature, which triggers spawning in the Gulf of Mexico, isn't happening at the right time. And the, and the reproductive system of Southern flounders collapse because of climate change. You want to see climate change? Look in the water, look what the fish are doing and, and so many other parameters. So couldn't agree with you guys more. Well, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we are coming, uh, to the end of our program and, uh, but before we go, I do want to ask Maggie, uh, what you would say, you know, 
our audience are uh, coastal and ocean professionals. Many of many of them are are people who have some influence in the management and um, in the future management of the ocean. And if you have uh, maybe a, a few pieces of advice that you would give them of how to include and incorporate youth. Uh, not only perspectives, but also youths themselves, youth people into uh, coastal and ocean policies going forward. Yeah, absolutely. We, Armand and I actually recently had this discussion. We were able to meet with Dr. Rick Spinrad, who's the admin, uh, the lead administrator for NOAA. Yes. And NOAA's really trying having conversations with us about how to engage youth and we mentioned this past week when we were in dc and we were able to meet with them about how whenever organizations want to you know get youth involved it's very it's usually very tokenizing they're like oh just photo op or we'll talk for 20 minutes and then that's it and then there's no institutionalizing youth engagement and so we often have discussions with organizations about how they can implement a youth advisory council and have delegates from all sectors of their organization so that young people can have these direct conversations. Um, and so yeah. I, I guess I guess that would be my advice is to don't don't tokenize young people. Actually get them in these conversations in all sectors of your of your organization so that youth engagement and social justice is a priority in everything that you do awesome awesome stuff you know i got to be we, and there's one thing i would like to ask we're talking about reasons to be concerned where uh climate change is 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 a serious matter not all the news is bad in the gulf of mexico this week uh the bureau of offshore energy management uh in the U.S. Department of the Interior, the organization that leases offshore uh, submerged lands for energy development, including oil and gas development all across the Gulf of Mexico. That federal leasing program is run by BOEM, uh, announced the lease availability or the study of new offshore wind leases in the Gulf of Mexico off of the Texas coast. Two areas, one over by Port Arthur in the Louisiana border, uh, about 30 to 50 miles offshore and then in the Galveston Freeport Texas offshore area lease blocks coming online for wind power development Maggie I gotta say can we can we put a, a gold star here what do you think about the development of wind power uh, offshore of the United States generally but in the Gulf of Mexico in particular yeah, absolutely. Kind of like what I was saying earlier about how, for instance, in Corpus Christi, we are overrun with heavy oil and gas industry. And it kind of it irks me when our Texas politicians are, are like, yeah, like we're the we're the leading power or powerhouse for in the energy sector or whatnot. And then they don't have no interest in expanding offshore wind or solar energy or other green um, energy initiatives. So, yeah, I think it, it is a gold star. We should we should have been having these different projects and initiatives when it comes to green energy a long time ago. So absolutely. <laughs> well, let me let me just re reframe it. I'm going to kick this one to Armin. Uh, 
What's the level of stoke out there for the future of, let's just call it, we'll call it the new blue economy to use the spin rad derivation. Um, is the level of stoke high? I mean, it seems like, yeah, with offshore wind coming along the Texas coast, this does present maybe some jobs, maybe some uh, opportunities to transition justly. What do you think, Armin? Well, I'm going to go ahead and put on a few hats here. I have the opportunity to serve on the mayor's environmental task force and you know, at the city, for the city of Corpus Christi, but also on a had, ad hoc you know, or, uh, group with Dr. Spinrad in terms of youth and engagement. Um, as a young generation, we're ready. We're ready to see that transition. And what we understand is that it, it's, it's, a, it's about time. We, we need to see this happen. There's no question that if it were up to us, if we were leaders of the world in the positions of leadership with, with absolute power and control um, in, in terms of like governing bodies, we would push forward um, unquestionably with a just transition to these renewable types of energy and the blue economy. It provides job. Look, we have done the research. We have had teams. We have had experts really rolling out what blue economy looks like, the, the transition, the, the infrastructure, the, the economic systems, all of that's in place. We have those materials. We have all of it in, in written literature laid out. We've done presentations um, and it's all ready. What we really need and what I think we're investing in is, is, is for, for young people's leadership. But what, we're, what we really need is leadership in these positions um, to start pulling the trigger on making that transition to help things like the blue economy. And that's really looking at um, how we interact with our oceans. There's so much that it has to provide in terms of renewable energy. And I think we're ready for it. I think what we need is just you know, you, to encourage our leadership to understand the potentials we have here. And, and you know, for example, I can think about the conversation that Maggie had at the Capitol with uh, Senator Ted Cruz's staff. It's really about how you frame this opportunity at hand. When we were talking about Texas being an energy capital of the U.S. and, and on that global market for energy, if we want to stay relevant in these conversations when it comes to energy, we need to learn to adapt. Fossil fuels won't always be there. And we're ready for it. We're ready to see the change. Right on. Well, the thing about Texas that a lot of people don't know it is the number one wind power producing state in America. Uh, it continues to expand. And right outside of Corpus Christi, as uh, when I come down to Corpus, you start to see the wind turbines as you come into the into Nueces County and all along the Gulf Coast between Corpus Christi down to the valley uh, is uh, a lot of wind power. Uh, and so we are seeing some reasons for hope. Uh, the city of Houston, uh, another intensive energy sector uh, area on the Texas Gulf Coast, starting to see investments in hydrogen and and blue hydrogen in particular uh, technologies. Uh, the energy sector seems to be taking the small initial steps to redo, rethink, how do we produce electric power uh, and making that transition? Such a long way to go. Um, Maggie, closing thoughts. Are you an optimist about the future? I am. And I, it's because I know we mentioned that we just got back from DC with Earth Echo and Earth Echo has a youth leadership council with young activists from all over the world. 
Um, we had people from, obviously we are from Texas, we have people from California, but also Indonesia, Malaysia, the UK. It, this is an international organization. And I look at these young people that we're working with and I see all the incredible work that they are doing in their country and their communities. And it gives me, it gives me so much hope and it energizes me. And I, I, I get, I, you can ask Armand, I get emotional just like thinking yeah. about everything that they're doing and the, yeah, I, that's all I can say there. I look at these young people, these fellow young people that we're working with and I, I see hope for our future Yay. Um, when we all come it together and it's really, it's a really beautiful thing for sure. Armand, closing thoughts. Are you optimistic about the future? We're, fa- we're facing a lot of realities, some lo- a lot of dark realities. Our planet right now isn't in the, the best shape. The, the truth is our planet's going to be here if we don't take action. Yeah. Right? It's, oh, it's always, it's, it's going to be able to outlast us. Yeah. What keeps me hopeful and optimistic is just like what Maggie said. Young people are doing the work right now. We're having those conversations. We're having difficult conversations. When I see my fellow young people working and doing this kind of, this kind of, you know, social rights work, it's, it's really inspiring. It reminds me and it shows me that we have, we have this opportunity right in front of us. We just have to go all in. And that's why I would encourage anyone to have a conversation with a young person invite them to the table, make space for them because we're innovative we're driven um and and most importantly we we want to see what's best for the people and uh I, I think we have a really good opportunity here to 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 also survive with the planet great hey keep up keep up the good work you guys uh what a tremendous uh privilege for us to talk to you guys and learn about the work you're doing ladies and gentlemen it is maggie peacock and Armand alex they are the co-founders of the gulf of mexico Youth Climate Summit coming up July 29th and 30th. It's a virtual event uh, sponsored by the Gulf Research Reach Institute and other institutions. Uh, Maggie, if folks want to attend this event, tell us how they can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, follow us on all socials, Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook, LinkedIn at G-O-M Youth Climate. That's the username that you can find. You can find us anywhere. You can email us at G-O-M Youth Climate at gmail.com. And on all the links and our socials, there is a registration form. Like you mentioned earlier, this is a free event for anyone who wants to participate. We have people signed up ages six to 58. So <laughs> this is a wide audience that, that we have coming and we are so excited to have these um, conversations with anybody. So yeah, follow us on socials, share our um, graphics and our registration forms on your own platforms and tell all your friends and family to register as well. It's going to be great. Awesome. Thank you very much for joining us on the American Shoreline podcast and telling us all about the fantastic work you're doing. Appreciate it so much and have a great week, y'all. Beaches of sail to build their hotels, my father.